Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Our days have so often been evil. We have so often lived in utter affliction, you, me, Lauren, the lot of us. This cannot be denied. But the darkness has been overcome, is being overcome, by shining what light we have into the places where you don't always want to look, and laughing at the absurdity, the audacity of life, and our audacity to carry on. The merry heart so often seems ridiculous to the afflicted because it is a heart of flesh, not stone. Stone hearts cannot laugh. Only soft ones, loose and alive, do that. How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by my friend and frequent co-host, Hunter McClendon, to talk about our reading years so far. Do you love listening to From the Front Porch every week? Spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review, then tell us what you think. Here is a recent review from Julie. A bright spot in my week. I love this podcast. Yes, I hear about great books that are coming soon and add to my TBR list all the time, but it's more than that. Each episode is full of joy and laughter and vulnerability. The staff at the bookshelf clearly love their jobs and talking about books. The episodes with Annie and Hunter shine with honesty and banter. Thank you all. Keep doing what you do so well. Thank you, Julie. You're in luck because today's guest is Hunter. And thank you to all of the other reviewers who've left kind words and thoughtful reviews about the show. We are so grateful anytime you share From the Front Porch with your friends. Thank you for spreading the word about not only our podcast, but also our small, independently owned bookstore. Now, back to the show. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Wasn't that so nice of Julie? That was so nice. You know, we're just coming off of the latest reader retreat, and there were several people who were like, like, I love whenever you're on. Your episodes are some of my favorite episodes. And I was like, wow, way to shade Annie. That's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) How dare they? (laughs) Listen, we joke that who could have predicted five years ago that you would be our resident celebrity that like we bring in (laughs) it's like bringing in the ringer or something like we bring in you for shopping night and people come and it is it is delightful to watch you get your moment in the sun that you have more than earned well celebrity celebrity (laughs) what can i say (laughs) uh okay so we have been alluding to this episode for weeks if not in public in our private conversations we've been Mm -hmm. texting and talking because we are at the halfway point in 2023 and it's time to think maybe it's not but i like to think about what some of my favorite books of the year have been so far it's a good time to reflect on what my reading year has looked like and so at the halfway point I am curious how you feel your 2023 reading year compares to years past. Well, I think that the first several months were very slow for me. Like, I think that I just finally reached like peak burnout. Mm -hmm. But also this is, you know, I think last year was whenever I, yeah, last year was when I started that National Book Award reading project, which I'm still ongoing. Mm -hmm. But I also have been reading a lot of backlist stuff and 
And so I'm not, I, I can't even tell like what the landscape of literature is as well as I used to, which is just kind of weird. Yeah, I think you've spent the last couple of years reading a lot of backlist. I also think your bookish friendships play a role in your reading life. So, and I think that's true for a lot of us, right? So even if we think we have a TBR list or we think we have a reading plan, I think your relationship and your friendship with Bernie has affected and you're reading more works in translation, you're reading mm-hmm. backlist titles. I think frequently my reading is dictated by bookshelf life and bookshelf relationships and shelf subscriptions and all kinds of things. And you and I talked, mm, I don't remember if it was off air in, in a conversation or if it was in the podcast, but we have talked too about your work life has changed. Yes. My work life has changed. Just everything looks a lot different post 2020. And mm-hmm. so maybe our reading time is a little bit more limited or I have realized that I can be reading or I can be writing. It's hard to do both. Like, and so maybe you two are dealing with that. I'm not sure. But I find that when my when my real life is busy or intense or a little bit chaotic, it's hard for me to hunker down and read because I've got other stuff going on. Yeah. I have a job now where I have to do my job every <laughs> single day, um, which is... Um, oh, rude. <laughs> it, yeah. I, like, it's so funny. I told my boss the other day, um, I, I'd, I'd worked l- the entire eight hours for like four days in a row. Um, and I came into my boss's office and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, honestly, because I was not meant to be a full-time worker. And <laughs> I saw, I saw a tweet that said something like full-time should be 20 hours. I've got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> Listen, the thing is, I think anytime that I give full exertion for like a full 40 hours that I am so burnt out by the time I get home that I lay on my couch and I watch old episodes of The Office, which is not even productive TV watching. Right. Well, look, you're preaching to the choir because literally today I thought, why have I not read very much this month? Now, there are some legitimate reasons. Read a mm-hmm. retreat, traveling, getting a puppy, like all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but mostly... Really, it has nothing to do with any of that. And what it has to do with is I decided to get hooked on X-Files and I can either watch X-Files or I can read. I can't do both. And look, X-Files is not productive TV watching. That show is old. What am I doing? But it's your first time, right? It is my first time, yeah. Okay, so that's productive. I mean, is it? I Is it productive? The other day I came this close, Hunter. I came this close to Googling fan fiction, Molly and Scalder. No, what are their names? Scully and Mulder. And I was like, no, Annie, don't do that. You have reached fan <laughs> fiction. I know. I know. I was like, oh. don't do it. There are books to be read. You cannot be out here reading decades old fan fiction about two characters whose names you can't even pronounce Mulder and Scully. Also, I'm sorry, but like fan fiction just sounds like a dangerous game for someone of your like. Correct. It, it would have yeah. to be closed door fan fiction. But <laughs> do you like? Can you just Google like closed door X Files fan fiction? <laughs> I don't know because I told myself not to do that. That that would be a bridge too far. That would be a step too far. I'm trying to keep it together over here. I don't. I'm not ready for that. You know what, though? Good for you, because I, like, it's so funny. I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this until recently, but there's, like, there's fan fiction that's about, like, uh, just famous authors hooking up, I guess. Um, that Honestly, that sounds like something you would imbibe in. 
<laughs> Let me tell you, I, I'm not going to, I spent like three hours. I was like, I like got in the bathroom to, to read a book and I spent like three hours in the bathroom. I was like a prune and I was just like scrolling through like, oh my goodness. I was like so scandalous. Like, you know, I mean, like there was like one thing actually like may he rest in peace. There was one that was Cormac McCarthy at his, oh. at his ripe, and he, like a, the story, he was in his eighties in the story. And I was like, oh, okay. what is this life? I need to Google was Cormac McCarthy again. He he has just died as of this recording. But was he handsome as a younger man? I need to look it up. See if he was plainly handsome. I'm not gonna lie. I thought he was kind of like he's a uh, distinguished older man. I think. Listen, have you ever seen that movie Heartbreakers with Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sigourney Weaver? Oh my gosh! Uh, if I have, it has been decades. But I know what you're talking about. Like they're basically like they're trying to like, scam out these old men. And let me tell you, I feel like if there was ever a profession that I was meant to partake in, it would be that. Uh, <laughs> because I, I was like, wow, it's like Cormac McCarthy. Like, like I may he rest in peace, but also like, rare. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, we should move on before we get in trouble. Know, so, <laughs> okay. So last year I mm-hmm. used a template and like it was an Instagram template put out by Sarah at the high reader. That's the H I reader. And I don't think she's done one for 2023, but I did think I would ask some of those same questions of you before we launch into essentially our top 10 of the year so far. So tell me, I'm going to let you go first and I'll go, what was your first five-star read of the year? My first, are we talking like front list? Yes. Okay. Uh, My first five-star was Big Swiss by Jen Began. Can you tell me about it? What was that about? That was the one. It's about uh, this girl who she writes like transcripts for uh, therapy sessions. And Uh there's this one like, and and it's like, he's not like a real therapist that she's like transcribing for, but he's kind of weird. But there's this, this one patient who she refers to as Big Swiss, who um, has been through this horrific trauma. But Big Swiss believes that people nowadays kind of wear their trauma as a form of identity, especially like a marginalized identity to be oppressed mm. by. And this girl who's transcribing these therapy sessions is somebody who's kind of been doing that. And eventually they meet and it's kind of about oh. this weird dynamic and this exploration of like, what does it mean to have trauma and to exist with it without letting it become part of you, I guess. Should I read that? That sounds good. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That's a new book to me, so I would like to read that. My first five-star read, I read back in January, Games and Rituals by Katherine Heine. Uh-huh. And I really had to think about this because I initially gave it five stars, but sometimes I was discussing this with a friend and listener of the show, Jennifer, and she was talking about how sometimes early in the year, she's really generous with five stars. And then as the year progresses, she realizes, mm-hmm. wait a minute, was that five stars or was mm-hmm. that not? Like, I think at the beginning of the year, you're still trying to figure out your reading rhythm. but Upon further reflection, I stand by my initial five-star rating, which is, I do not know why Katherine Heine is not, I, she's popular in my heart, but I don't know why she is not more popular. I have loved every book I've read by her, mm-hmm. including her short stories. So this is a short story collection. I loved her first collection called Single, Carefree, and Mellow, yeah. which was a book, yeah, a book I hand-sold early in my tenure at the bookshelf. And I hand-sold it to the point that a customer pulled me aside and asked me if my marriage was okay. <laughs> Which, which was a really, really high moment in my career. Um, but <laughs> games and rituals, I think she is such. I think she is such a brilliant writer, 
And I love reading her novels, but she is really so gifted at the short story format, which Mm -hmm. is not true of every writer. I don't love every short story collection. It's not like I'm just devouring short fiction all the time. But I do think if you are somebody who always scratches your head a little bit at short stories and isn't quite sure where to start, Catherine Heine would be a great place to start. I just discussed this at Reader Retreat with author Carrie Winfrey, who mentioned this as one of her favorites of the year so far. And she mentioned one of the short stories that she can't stop thinking about where the character in these short stories, they do donuts in the, I believe it's a hospital parking lot. Anyway, and I immediately knew what story she was talking about. Like I was immediately taken back there, which for a book I read in January, that's pretty remarkable that I can remember any bit of it. So that was my first five-star read and I stand by it. I really, I really like Catherine Heine's work and I think it's a great short story collection. Do you know, I like, it's so funny because I, whenever you're talking about her, I keep thinking, I keep having flashes of every, because I remember the covers of each of her books because of you (laughs) constantly showing them and I've still not read her and I have several of her books. Oh my gosh. And I think you would actually really like her. I think so too. I don't know why I haven't, but I need to. You should at least start. Here's my thing about short story collections. And maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but you don't have to read them all. Like just open up and read a couple of stories. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not how they're meant to be read, but that is sometimes how I read them. I know. I think that's perfectly fine. And also, you know, I, I don't know. I know, I know I'd enjoy it, but yeah. So, okay. So the next thing is most surprising. Yes. Which, and this is, this is, this is a book that's in my top 10, but it's Brother and Sister Enter the Forest by Richard Mirabella. Great title. Yeah. Let me tell you, I I mentioned this uh, at the reader retreat, but so this was a book that I've befriended Richard on Instagram. He follows my little bookstagram account. And whenever I saw he had a book coming out, I was like, it's one of those things. I don't know if you ever feel like this, but like sometimes like a friend will like, like publish a book and you'll be like, Oh no, like, am I going to like it? And you know, I get that anxiety Mm -hmm. about like, is it going to be good? And (laughs) And I was How am nervous. I going to talk about it if it's not? <laughs> yeah. And thank goodness it is, I think, so, it's so well-written, so, so beautifully written, so emotional. And um, it's about this brother and sister who grew up in this really tumultuous household. And it deals a lot with addiction and with trauma. All these books, everything deals with trauma. I don't know. Trauma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Common, like, common it, denominator. <laughs> but um. The book is structured based on the emotional beats of the relationship rather than chronologically. And yeah. I just thought that was such a smart and interesting way mm-hmm. to structure the book. And so I was, I was very surprised on how it how it played out structurally. I was very surprised in how honest it was and how emotion like how moved I was by it without it ever feeling like it was manipulating me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And also really surprised because I was like, oh, good. It's actually really good. And I don't have to like pretend it's good, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a relief. I, I am genuinely relieved for you. It, that is always a conundrum. Okay, my most surprising is a book that Aaron and Keela on staff both had read and I picked it up on a whim earlier this year. It's The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. So this almost feels like a novella to me. It's, it's a short little book that... I picked up because Aaron and Keila both were like, not only is it excellent, but it's weird. And you and I know that every so often I like a little bit of weird. And this book is almost like a gothic kind of fairy tale, okay. um, which which I normally would shy away from. But do you remember Megan Hunter's The Harpy? Uh-huh. I 
adored the harpy. This is very much along those same lines. We have okay. an unnamed narrator who is a young adult, a young woman living at home with her mom and little brother. And her mom brings home her new lover, a crane. And the crane, it's based on um, kind of the folklore of the crane wife, but mm-hmm. it is not uh, related to CJ Houser's <laughs> The Crane Wife. And basically this young woman watches as her mother becomes less and less of herself as she develops this relationship with the crane. And it is so dark and weird and scary and a little gruesome. And I just ate it up. One sit read, loved it, love a book that's not afraid to be a little strange, a little weird, and also really like a book that knows how to start and finish. Like I didn't need a 300-page novel about the crane Mm -hmm. husband. I needed exactly this length, exactly this story. The unnamed narrator will stick with me for a long time. She was so brave and compelling and complicated and big uh, eldest daughter energy. And I just really, I really liked this book a lot. And I'm really glad I read it. It was partly a surprise, not only because of the subject matter, but because so rarely in book selling, do you have a book that you just kind of pick up on a whim and by serendipity. And this one was for me. And so I'm going to look back on it as a surprising read, I think, for the first half of 2023. It's The Crane Husband by Kelly Barnhill. Now I have to read it. Oh, it's so fat. You'll fly right through it. It's so easy. Okay. My least favorite. This always feels like an attack. Um, I know. It it does feel aggressive. Is it mean? (laughs) You know what? Like, it's fine because I do have an answer. Okay. Okay. Actually, I'll tell you, I have two. These these are, and and to be clear, like, as far as 2023 releases go, I don't think I've read anything bad myself. I think that everything I've read has been pretty good these kind of fell a little bit short for me in some ways. Uh, one, and actually, and I think that one of these is The Dog of the North by Elizabeth McKenzie, um, mm-hmm. which I really, I liked it. I thought it was charming, but it just, I just wanted, I had higher expectations for it. Mm-hmm. But I still think, I think a lot of people would like it. So it's not like, it, it's not one that I'm like. Look, this is, I mean, this is what we talk about here on From the Front Porch. I always want to be cognizant of the fact that authors are doing things that I have never done, which is mm-hmm. that they've published a book. So, you know, yeah. but I also want to be an honest reviewer for readers, but I also want to be cognizant and kind in regards to authors. So I think the key here is always, and this isn't dishonest, this is just true. Not every book is for me. And right. many, many books are for other people. I have disagreed with staffers on some books, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes Olivia loves a book that I don't, or s- somebody hates a book that I loved, or my book club hates yeah. a book that I loved. That's okay. Um, we talked about this at Reader Retreat when we talk about books that people love that we hated. It, it really isn't so much about what we hate or what we dislike as it's figuring out what books work for you and which don't. Yeah, And that that, I think, is what we mean. Well, and I even think that, like, I even think I initially gave it four stars, too, because it's it's one of those things where if you like Ann Tyler, actually, I think that you'd really like this book. Um, mm. It's got very quirky characters. There's a lot going on. But I think that I loved her last book, The Portable Veblen, which was actually a National Book Award oh, finalist yeah. or Longlist yes. or one of them. And I thought it was so charming. And so I think that because I was so deeply in love with that book and what it was doing, that I expected mm-hmm. a little bit more of that here. And, and the writing's gorgeous. I think that she's great with the characters. The, it, it's so interesting. I finished it. Uh, we listened to it on audio, me and my boss, like on the way to a board meeting and we finished it on the way there. And it was 
just mm. hard to stop listening to. But that, so that's one that like I liked just left was a little, was a little disappointed just at, towards the end, I guess. But the one that I actually was disappointed in was I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. Oh my gosh. With, this was our reader retreat. Did you know this was our reader retreat book club selection? No. I specifically picked it for this very reason, because I think it is quite divisive. And I love a book club book that is divisive. Um, and people have so many opinions about it. So I liked this one. I think uh-huh. I would give it a four, a four star, but I had some qualms with it. And maybe yeah. they're the same qualms you had. I don't know. Well, yeah, I I was frustrated because I here's the thing. I really enjoyed her last book, The Great Believers. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't think this is a bad book at all. I finished it very quickly, once again. She's a talented writer. She's a yes. very good writer. I think my frustration, and, th- and to be fair, this, you know, books are written and then they come out a time later and <laughs> a lot can happen in between then. And yes. I think that the conversations that she's having in this book um, had already been had by the time the book came out okay that was my i mean that was my major qualm um and it's fresh on my mind because we talked about it at reader retreat but yeah that would be my that would be my critique as well um i appreciated i actually so first of all i need to read the great believers but reader retreaters were very aggravated with me that i had not read the great (laughs) believers so gotta get on that um but i thought the writing in this was great and i really liked the campus Mm-hmm. novel, true crime podcast. Like, yeah. I felt like that was interesting and compelling. I had some issue with some of the ways in which she was tackling, quote, tough subjects, uh-huh. that it just felt like it already felt outdated, It, ju- it yes. which I'm, I'm not sure who to blame for that. I don't know if you blame Rebecca Mackay. I don't know if you blame, sometimes when a book is narrated in such a way, I'm like, maybe it was the narrator. Maybe she wanted the narrator to be having these conversations belayed. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny too, because I, like, so, I don't know if you would agree, I think one of the biggest comp titles that it kept getting was uh, The Secret History, which I thought was maybe a little misleading. Okay, let me ask you this, a reader retreater, I think it was Hope at Reader Retreat, I thought she had a great comparison, which was, she felt like the great believers is to the goldfinch, as, I have some questions for you, is to Secret History. And I thought, oh, now that's interesting because I do think I have some questions for you. Might be the more commercially appealing book or at yes. least the book with crossover appeal. Yes. And I think we can agree that Goldfinch did not have a ton of crossover appeal. You either mm-hmm. loved it or you hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably fell into the more literary camp and perhaps yes. that's what The Great Believers. I mean, I think The Great Believers was also commercially successful, but I liked that comparison. That makes sense. I do, yeah. In that, yes, I can see that. I think that, like, it's so funny, though, because I feel like the thing that won me over, this is my problem, too, right, is that, like, the thing I always associate with the secret history is that autumnal, like, very, like, it's a very yes. fall book. Yes. And I did not get that, quite that fall vibe, I guess, from... Well, and I think, I have some questions for you is also just trying to do so many things. And yeah. I think the secret history is really only trying to do one thing. Like it's telling a story. I have some questions for you is telling a story mm-hmm. and it's perhaps making some social criticisms and critiques, some of which I think were fine. And then some, I just yeah. think felt outdated or fell flat. But I, I think that's the difference. I feel like secret history is a really succinct book about mm-hmm 
one thing, and it felt like I have some questions for you, was a little bit more all over the place. Yeah, I think that's the thing, too, is that, like, I just, yeah, I think it's a a lot on one's plate. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so my least favorite books probably fall into that same category where I know for a fact, like, again, I liked, I have some questions for you. I think I rated Mm -hmm. it four stars. I, I loved the audiobook experience. But my, one of my least favorite books of the year was Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. And it pains me to say that, but I think I had an expectations problem. Mm-hmm. And I have said that in every review I've given of the book because I think it's unfair to not say it. I really like Curtis Sittenfeld. I love her work. I love pretty much everything I've ever read by her. And I think I just went into it with completely the wrong expectation and the wrong lens. If you go into this just expecting a romantic comedy, which is exactly what the title says you should expect, I think you'll be fine. I went into it thinking, oh, it's a romantic comedy written by Curtis Sittenfeld. So it's going to like turn the world upside down and do something creative and do something unique. And it really didn't. And that's okay. It's just not what I thought it was going to be at all. Well, but also, if you have a title like romantic comedy, right? I expect you probably need something to do something a little different, a little wild like, and crazy. Yeah, that kind of feels. It feels like you're like grabbing a hold and like making it your own. You know, like yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So I struggled with that one a little bit, and then another book that I struggled with, but then I passed it along to my mom, thinking she would love it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be curious; she'll come on the podcast in a couple weeks and maybe she can tell us, but she read it and I think also struggled a little bit with it. And it's called When in Rome. Mm -hmm. This is a book by Liam Callanan. But then I talked about it on the podcast and I saw at least two readers post about how much they loved it. So I think, again, it just, you just never know. Um, For me, I really, I was excited about that book because it's about a woman who returns to Rome in middle age and she had wanted to be a nun when she was uh, in her early 20s mm-hmm. and life's events prevented her from doing so. And now she is middle-aged, late middle-aged and and reinvestigating that part of her life. Um, the best part about the book was the Roman setting, the Italian setting. It was I thought that was beautiful. But I think I wanted a little bit more in terms of questions about faith and, and mm-hmm. things like that, which that's not shocking. Um, so anyway, that was my other book that just kind of let me down. And I think Jordan always says the key to happiness is low expectations. And that is probably true in literature as well. <laughs> okay. Let's do quickly before we do our top 10. Okay. What's next on your TBR? The Look Back Window by Kyle Dylan Hertz. The only thing I know about it is that it's gay. And that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I am trying to do my dumb Wendell Berry year and I have failed. <sighs> miserably, miserably I failed. I think it's because Wendell Berry's books are a little quieter and I have had very little quiet time this year. And the quiet time that I have had, I've been trying to try my hand at some writing. And so Jaber Crow is next on my TBR, followed by Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Oh, I want to read it. I'm really excited. Um, I'm nervous. I'm nervous, mm-hmm. excited. Okay, what is your most anticipated release for fall? Okay, my most anticipated release, if I had not already read it, which I'm keeping a secret, is uh, The Vester Wilds by Lauren Groff. <gasps> You've read it already? Yeah. Oh uh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. But it's like a secret. I, like, I love how I'm like, it's a secret because I'm, I'm like, I'm buddy, I'm buddy reading it with Bernie, but he hasn't started yet. Okay. 
It's Can you fine. just tell me, are we talking Fates and Furies, Matrix, which direction mm-hmm. are we going in? Or something totally different because she's amazing. So it is definitely like a sister story to Matrix in a lot of ways. Okay. I think you'll I think you'll really like it. It's different, but it's oh, good. Yay. Okay. My most anticipated is Let Us Descend. This is the new Jasmine Ward. Oh, I am yeah. really looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to this. I have my copy here. I just need to dive in. Um, and then I also, I, and I wonder if this is on yours as well, Family Meal by Brian Washington. Oh, I read that. Oh, do, okay. Did you like it? Yes. I prefer Memorial, but I did really like it. Okay. Well, will I like it? Um, yes. Yeah. I think you, you'll finish it really quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you'll like it. I do think you'd like Memorial more, but okay. If, maybe if you read like Family Meal, then you'd, you know. Okay. All right. Well, I'm excited. Also, I just love the cover, if I'm being quite frank. Oh, that's the thing. Sometimes I'm like, oh, a cover. It's got me one over. Yeah, it does. It, it totally does. Um, I'm trying to remember if I... Was Memorial a pandemic book? Was it a 2020 book or was it pre-2020? I think it was 2020. I think. Maybe it was 2019. I, I think it was 2020. I need to try it. Okay. I need to try it. I don't think I finished it. I think I'm getting it confused with Real no, life. I'm not. Memorial. No. Yeah, real life. That's what I'm getting confused with. In real life, I started and didn't finish. I do think oh, there are so many things where, don't you wonder, what if, what if the pandemic hadn't happened? Would my brain still be fine? <laughs> All the time. All the time. <laughs> um, okay. Are you ready to do top 10 of 2023 so far? I think so, yeah. Okay, here's what I will say about my list. Because we're going to, I'll start with 10, then you go. We're going to go back mm-hmm. and forth. I just want to say that my top five or six, I feel great about. Like, when I texted you a couple weeks ago that we were potentially going to be doing this episode, I had no problem coming up with six. But mm-hmm. anything after that was kind of a mixed bag. Like, these are definitely books that I enjoyed, but I don't know if at the end of the year they'll be in my top 10. And that's how it's supposed to be. Like, I don't think you're supposed to have 10 five-star books in June. That mm-hmm. would be an embarrassment of riches. So anyway, if you're halfway through the year, <laughs> we're all halfway through the year. <laughs> Not if. We're all halfway through the year. If you feel like you don't have a ton of five-star books yet, I think that's okay. Like, fall yeah. is coming. I also meant to tell you, by the way, I do have, they sent me a second copy of The Vaster Wilds, if you want to. <gasps> I want it. Okay. I want it. Hold it for me. Okay. Okay. All right. My number 10 book. I literally changed this today because oh, I, I finished saw. this book today. Oh, <laughs> did you see on the Google Doc? Yeah. Um, okay. So I just finished today a book called How Far to the Promised Land by Esau Macaulay. I really loved this book. I do not know, again, if it'll be in my top 10 at the end of the year, but it's a very compelling memoir about a Black man growing up in Huntsville, Alabama. He is probably a little bit older than I am. I suspect that he is in his 40s. And he is an Anglican priest, but this book is not necessarily, quote, Christian. It's really just his memoir about growing up Black in the American South And he specifically writes a lot about his father. So he grew up with his mother and father and his, I believe, two sisters and a brother in Huntsville. And so that already, the Huntsville of it all, I have relatives who lived outside of Huntsville. And so that felt familiar. But his father dies when Esau is an adult. And he has to kind of examine what his relationship with his dad was like because his dad was in and out of his life throughout adolescence and childhood. His dad 
abused his mom, uh, struggled with drug abuse. And Esau is writing a lot about what it was like to grow up with that kind of looming. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the first things he opens the book with is like, at his Alabama high school, the principal like looks at these kids their freshman year and says, there are 400 of you by senior year. There's only going to be 200. And it's kind of, I think that's supposed to be like a cautionary tale and also perhaps even in some ways inspiring. Um, and Esau really struggles with that. And then he winds up graduating high school and he realizes how many of his peers he's lost to violence or to institutional racism, things like that. So I just thought it was so, such a really honest, unflinching mm-hmm. look at life at the South, Black experience in the South. It's a really great father-son story. The storytelling is really great. The writing is good. I really liked this book a lot. I just finished it today, so it's hard to know what I'm going to, it takes me a few days to like uh-huh. think about where a book is going to fall, but I really liked my reading experience of this one, um, and I can't wait to hand sell it. That sounds so good. It is, it is really good. He's a New York Times columnist, and so you can kind of get a sense of some of his writing. Like, I think my dad is going to love this book. It doesn't come out until the fall, but I liked it a lot. Okay. I'm adding it to my list. My number 10 is, a like, it was actually the first 2023 release I read, which was The New Life by Tom Cruise. Okay. It's interesting, because I feel like it kind of, it's connected in some ways to In Memoriam in, like, mm-hmm. time and setting a little bit but i will say the new life is much drier but it's about queer history and sexuality and i'm not making it really clear what it's about but it's like it's like it's like <laughs> it's like dry british men discussing their like lust for each other um okay. in, a, in, a, in a in a way that feels a little clinical but um but also really smart so I don't like, listen, like I, it, we had to have a number 10 and. <laughs> <laughs> and this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is yours. So, yeah. Okay. My number nine is If We're Being Honest by Kat Shook. This is a debut Southern novel. Um, I just felt like all the characters were so familiar. I liked that it was set over one week. The mm-hmm. book opens at a funeral and ends at a wedding. The funeral, I just want to say that what hooked me was the book opens with this large family and they're mourning their patriarch and they're trying to figure out who is going to give the eulogy at the patriarch's funeral. And the book kind of lays out why each of these characters would be terrible at the eulogy. And that's how you kind of get introduced to the characters. It reminded me of um, Flight by Lynn Stager Strong in that way, Mm -hmm. just how it kind of introduced us to all of these people. And then the family finally decides, forget it, we're going to have his best friend do the eulogy. And so this elderly gentleman like gets up during the funeral. He's clearly inebriated. He's going to give his best friends eulogy. But then he confesses that they weren't just best friends. They were lovers. And the family sits stunned, not knowing this truth about their patriarch. And so immediately it just felt like high drama, steel magnolias level Southern fiction. I loved it. I thought it was so smart. I felt like I knew all of these characters. So fun. So fun. I have the ARC and I kept putting it off. Ugh. It's very commercial, but not in a bad way. Like I really enjoyed it. I thought the characters were so funny. Didn't you compare it, like say like Southern Emma Straub maybe or something like that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I can go with that. We don't get enough Southern Emma Straub. We always get Brooklyn Emma Straub. We don't get any Southern lit like this. So I was pleased. That's true. 
my number nine was My Last Innocent Year by Daisy Albert Florin. That book is great. I almost forgot about that book. Well, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I no, I actually, I like it's so funny because I stayed home one day and was cleaning, and I actually listened to the audiobook, and I thought it's one of those things where, like, you know, you, you're just something's on your mind. There's a lot that's on your mind that, like, and then all of a sudden, a book is talking about it, and <laughs> this book, I, I like. See, this is the problem. I don't know how to describe some of these. It's been a while since I've read, but like, I really guess it's about this just woman. This woman's in college. Um, yeah, it's like she has. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she has an affair with a professor? Question mark. But it's uh-huh. dealing with. Okay, you know how we were talking about. Um, I have some questions for you and how it felt a little bit outdated. Yes. This felt like this is the kind of conversation I want to have about the Me Too movement. Only this book was set in the 90s, I want to uh-huh. say. Yes. Well, because the, the book kind of opens with this really awkward sexual encounter that she has and how she's not really sure how to react to it. But her friend kind of reacts for her. Yes. And let me tell you, it, th- this book is very sticky, tricky, hard to like, figure out mm-hmm. what you what you think about it and that's why i think it works um yes. i think any it's book not trying to make you feel a certain way no and that's the thing i think that you know i think that where something like i have some questions for you it has a very clear idea of what it wants to say and is like this is like this has a net clear idea of what, like, what's right and wrong in a lot of ways i think with my last innocent year that this is an author who's like this is really complicated and there's no clear answers here mm-hmm. we're gonna get like the most murky complicated scenario going and like really like dive in and yes and and here's a story and i'm not gonna tell you how to feel about it no no, not at any point it was that like it is so rewarding as a reader to read a book that does not hold your hand uh Mm -hmm. does not does not like kind of like tell you what to think but it's just like hey like this is like like get ready to like kind of challenge yourself and i think that um yeah i don't know i found it really exciting and and i list i could not i it's one of those books that I rarely get like this. This is one of those audiobooks where I listened at like pretty much normal speed and then just like laid in bed for like an hour and a half, like listen to the oh, end. that's fun. Yeah. Oh, that is memorable. <laughs> okay. My number eight is Congratulations, The Best is Over. This is by our Eric Thomas essay collection that comes out in August. I loved his debut essay collection here for it. I liked his young adult novel, Kings of Beemore, but this is a return to essays. Look, I know we're all really wary of pandemic books, meaning books that kind of reflect on what life was like during the pandemic. But I think this one does a really good job of capturing a lot of that zeitgeist, a lot of those feelings that we all had. And it also deals in a really lovely way with grief. I love a book that one minute I am laughing so hard, like laughing out loud in my front yard so that people drive by and think I'm crazy. Uh, But I also, the next minute, am tearful at mm-hmm. some brilliant truth I've read or really poignant line that I've read. I just, I, I really like that about Eric's work that one minute he's really, really funny and so quippy. It's like, I think I said this in a podcast episode, but it's like watching an episode of Gilmore Girls where you feel really smart when you understand the reference. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you feel like, oh my gosh, I get it. Um, but I also just think the writing is really good and makes you feel things. So um, I can't wait to handsell that one too. Okay, well, I should, I will clarify since um, Eric is now my friend after he came to visit this past weekend for to retreat that when I finish, it will likely be in my top 10. I'm not <laughs> done yet. So don't come for me. Uh, fair. That's fair. 
No, but I what I've read though is amazing. And I can I will never get over the this one line that you and I both talked about from here for it, where he said the Tia and Temerity. <laughs> I laughed so hard just thinking about it. It was so good. I that that is, that is a line that's like stuck in my head for like forever and ever. Yeah. But yeah, okay. So the next book uh on my list was The People Who Report More Stress by Alejandro Varela. That's a great title too. Yeah, he was a National Book Award finalist last year for The Town of Babylon, which I really, really enjoyed. I think it was in my top 10. And if it wasn't, I don't know why, because I, I haven't stopped thinking <laughs> about it. But but this is a collection of being queer, being like, like the, the, uh, dealing with all these intersections of identity. Uh, it talks mm-hmm. a lot about uh, what is what is the word for like uh, economic, like the things with houses, the this, this stuff. Class. Yes, class, thank you. Yeah, structures. that sounds good. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, listen, words are hard. Um, yes, but also about also about being like a queer parent. There's several stories mm. here that I think are fascinating. Also about being in an open relationship, which is like, very funny. It's it's this really great short story collection, and the voice is so strong. This each each story I found so captivating, and and there's there's this there's this one story where this this dad he, his son's on a play date. And the other boy's mom is this like insufferable, like, uh, <laughs> like in New York socialite. And I don't know why, but I love really shady people being shady to people who don't get it. Uh, yeah, that feels right. It's very southern, honestly. It, yeah, <laughs> and like, and there's so many moments where he's just like kind of throwing shade at this, at this like, this like, like dumb rich woman. And and I like, I don't know. I just laughed the whole time. But I think it's, I think it's very. I think he's so smart. Uh, I definitely know there's a lot that goes over my head, but I think that I, I love when a book can be both entertaining and informative and thought provoking. So. Okay. That sounds good. My number seven is paper names. This is by Susie Luau. This is also a debut novel. And I feel like I read so many books this year and I'm sure this has been true in other years as well, but so many books I've read this year are told from like three different viewpoints or three different Mm -hmm. voices. And sometimes they all ran together, but This one I thought was really distinct um, about a man who has immigrated to the U.S. and he um, serves as a doorman. And there's this kind of inciting incident, almost like a such a fun age moment where um, he's a doorman and it kind of changes the trajectory of his family's life. And yeah, it's like Signal Fires meets such a fun age and very compulsively readable. It's the type of book that I think Jenna Bush Hager would pick for her book club book. Maybe she did. Oh, as I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, did she? Anyway, I don't know, but it seems right up her alley. So if you normally like her picks, I think you'd enjoy this. My number seven was Your Driver is Waiting by Priya Guns. Oh, yeah, yeah. I liked this book. You read this one? Yeah. You read oh it. That's right. How did I, oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Did we not talk about this? No, I don't think we did. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it's like it's pitched as... Uh, as what like what taxi driver would be if it was mm-hmm. um if it was about a queer south asian woman yeah i thought this book was so fun and so hard to put down I, there's just there's some some really striking imagery in this book but it's about this woman who's she's a driver for like it's it's like uber but it's not uber <laughs> and she accidentally like hits this girl while she's driving one day and they start a relationship and 
I don't know why, but like, I, I just like, I love, I don't know. I love messy people. I, think I was about if, to say it's messy. Of course you loved it. It's so I know, messy. I know it is. So if you, I think if you like those like sad girl millennial books, like, uh, mm-hmm. like Otessa Moshveg, Melissa Broder, those types yes. of things, this is definitely like right up that. Uh, and also even big Swiss. I think that it would fit into that same kind of thing, but yeah, this is another book that I, I finished in a day. And I love how I'm like, oh, I feel like my reading's been so slow. And then I'm like, I finished all these books in like one day. Um, but no, but I thought, I don't know. I just thought it was so weirdly charming. And there's this moment, like on their for on the, the two girls' first date, I just think that there's so many moments, the way that she describes it all is just like kind of lodged into my brain. And mm-hmm. I love when a writer can like write a specific scene or a specific image in a way that like, I can't shake it. Yeah, it's super cinematic. Like, Mm -hmm. I could picture the movie adaptation in my head while I was reading it. Yeah. Okay, my number six, which I feel like this could move up, but at this moment in time, it's number six, Monsters by Claire Dieterer. This is a work of cultural criticism about what we are supposed to do when the art we love is created by somebody who does really horrible, awful, problematic things. Like, what are we supposed to do with these monsters? And, uh uh-oh, what happens when we're the monster? And I think that is one of my favorite aspects of this book. I also love that this book does not offer answers because I, newsflash, I don't think there is an answer. Um, But the closest she comes is by kind of finally articulating that reading a book is not a moral act, uh, Mm -hmm. which is something you and I, I think, have talked about at length. And I, she, of course, gives a lot more detail. I don't want to reduce it to a soundbite. But I appreciated her thoughtfulness at realizing that whether or not we read a book or listen to a song or watch a movie created by a problematic creator is not necessarily the moral act that we think it is. And I thought that was fascinating. And I mm-hmm. I listened to the audiobook. I actually found it to be really excellent. She's the narrator. Claire yeah. Dieter is the narrator. Um, but I want to buy the physical copy because I have things I want to underline. Um, I just thought it was so profound and so good. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> we share the same number six. Uh, it's okay. also Monsters. Um, and it's funny because I as, after I listened to it, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, but I realized, like, after I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I think. She articulated <laughs> it, and that was exciting. But I was like, this is exactly yes. what I think. But what it, the question it actually made, made me think of was the reverse of what she's, what she's saying, which is that, uh, you know, she, like, she's asking, right, like, about uh, what do we do with, with art created by monsters? My question became, what do we do with art that is either mildly or extremely problematic or or racist mm. or transphobic, whatever it is by a mm-hmm. person who either seemed fine when they were alive or mm-hmm. is out is you know now has realized like oh i didn't realize that was what what i was doing or mm-hmm. um or even like i said even if it's just like mildly problematic but it's just it's something that now people are like really upset about like what do we do with that work um yeah and I, but i think i would have never gotten to that point of asking those questions if it had not been for this book really solidifying and like there's still things that i like i kind of felt differently than her about but yes me too um but i think that like i don't know i love that she was she had a very clear point of view and Mm -hmm. was so well articulated and i i always enjoy whenever i can read a nonfiction book and know like also i don't know it was just it was really entertaining and i feel like a lot of these kind of books are not entertaining 
Yeah, it was very readable. It would be a great book club conversation um, for a book club to discuss together because you're right. Not everything she said did I agree with, but I think she's a really good storyteller Mm -hmm. and really articulated herself really well. And I don't want to read books where I just agree all the time. I want to read books that make me think. (laughs) And this book helped make me think. And like you said, made you then maybe articulate other questions you had. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, my number five is the book I quoted from at the top of the episode. It's How to Stay Married. This is by Harrison Scott Key. I had never read him before. He is a pretty prolific Southern author, but this was my first work of his. I was immediately struck by the title, by the premise. Basically, Harrison Scott Key's wife had an affair. And this is the story of how he kind of finds out about the affair and then what happens to their marriage after and the role that he plays in the affair. So I was worried perhaps that the book would be voyeuristic, uh, or even maybe relish in its own scandalousness, uh, but it did not. Instead, I found it to be one of the most beautiful books about marriage I've ever read. I'm, I'm going to make Jordan read it. I read pieces out loud to him, but um, this release is later in July, and I loved it. Uh, it's How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key. Do you think I like that one? I do, actually. I just think the writing, as a Southern reader, I think Mm -hmm. you will appreciate the Southern writing. I I said this on a previous podcast, but he was raised Church of Christ. um, And very rarely does anybody write about that. (laughs) Uh, And I was raised Church of Christ. And so, so much, I was just laughing out loud. And then also, again, wanting to cry. Um, He just, (laughs) it was so, it was so good. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. My number five is Big Swiss by Jen Began, which I've already talked about. But it's just one of those books that, like, I, it's actually really funny because that's a, that's one of the books that uh, I had all the people who were were kind of upset. There's they were upset by either the, the handling of trauma in the book, which I think is kind of part of mm-hmm. the point of the book, um, mm-hmm. and also about just certain thing, things that the narrator says, which I will not give away. But like, I think if you end up reading it, it'd be fun to discuss. Okay. I am going to try to read that one. I was very intrigued when you described it. Um, okay, my number four is All My Knotted Up Life. This is by Beth Moore. This could have been another big surprise book for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth Moore is an evangelical writer, creator, pastor, and I was not necessarily a huge fan of her Bible studies. I had I'd read a couple of them, um, but I really liked her on Twitter, <laughs> and especially... 2016 and on, I think any Christian voice that was willing, I think, to take a bold stand, it shouldn't have been a bold stand, but at that time it felt like a bold stand. Um, I really appreciated. And so I followed her. Um, but anyway, this is her memoir. And I really had no expectations going in. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. And maybe she'll write a little bit about what it's been like over the last few years of like, if you identify as a Christian, where do you, what does that mean anymore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that mean anymore? And, uh, but, but this book is more than that. She definitely talks about that, at least in the back third. But really, this is a Southern Gothic memoir about a girl growing up in Arkansas. And I don't always love Southern writing uh, when I think it's a little bit eye-rolly, but I did not think this was eye-rolly at all. I felt like it was realistic and the writing was outstanding in a way I could not have predicted. And I was blown away, pleasantly blown away. Uh, so that is All My Knotted Up Life by Beth Moore. It sounds so good. It really, it really was. It really was good. My number four is August Blue by Deborah Levy. Oh, okay. Um, and I've now like read, like I'm pretty sure most of all of the work that's available to get of hers. Um, mm-hmm. She has a lot of backlist that isn't available, but I found, this is not my favorite of her work, but that's just because all of her work I think is so great that 
this is just like another great, you know, it's kind of like when after a while, like Meryl Streep has great performances that just, just don't win because all of it's good. Right. But this is a book about this acclaimed pianist who truly has dedicated her entire life to this, but uh, has like a moment that kind of reminded me of Tar a little bit. Did you see Tar? Mm, I loved Tar. Okay. I like, there's like the tiniest little elements that remind me of this, like obsession okay. with like being a you know, creator and everything. Uh, you'll see, but there's a lot of stuff about I'm- like uh, a double that she has. there's something so striking about the way that Deborah Levy uses imagery throughout the book. And it's also, it's one of those books that's like, it's like a pandemic novel, but only because people are wearing masks. Like that's kind of like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, But I just thought, I don't know. It's one of those that like, I I can't stop thinking about just because like I said, the the imagery was so striking. I've got to read Deborah Levy. I'm, I'm behind uh, and I I need to, is is this where I should start? I think it'd be if I wanted to. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, my number three is Stealing by Margaret Verbal. I read this in late 2022, but it came out this year. I do not know why more people aren't talking about this book. Uh, The narrator is so very memorable. She reminds me of like a scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. She's a young protagonist. And she is stolen from her father uh, after her mother dies and taken to a boarding school designed for indigenous children. And very much, it does not feel like a special episode. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like um, it's capitalizing on that news story, but instead is just offering a story about what that would look like what those um, awful schools that we've kind of learned about in the news over the last maybe decade or so. I just thought it was outstanding. I think the writing is excellent. Again, the narration reminds me of like rabbit cake or something like Mm -hmm. that, where you've got this really smart kind of 12 year old voice. And I was just struck by the themes revolving around indoctrination and education and, you know, when whiteness is, is forced upon um, different cultures. And anyway, I thought it was outstanding. I loved it. I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. So I'm talking about it. Stealing by Margaret Verbal. Okay, because I I own it and I started and was loving it, and then it was a board meeting and I stopped reading it. Ooh. Oh, you got to get back on it. It's I so know. short. I know, I know. Okay, I'll, like this this that's my new goal is to read it this week. Okay, okay. Um, my number three is Witness by Jamel Brinkley. Uh, it's a Ooh. new short story collection by the author of A Single Man, which was a short story collection that was uh, shortlisted for the National Book Award back in 2018. I just, there is something about his voice that is so arresting and his work is so funny and surprising. And it, I'm trying to think about who, who it might remind me of, but basically um, a lot of his stories are kind of about like witnessing injustice of different people in oh. different ways. And it's, I think it's very fascinating. Um, and, and I, and I, th- I think that he, there's something that he does about the way that he captures certain like subcultures that just feels very authentic without feeling too um, campy or melodramatic. I don't know. Okay. That sounds interesting. And that's your second or third short story collection on this list. So, I know. Um, okay. My second book is Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. This was an Oprah book club pick. It hardly needs me singing its <laughs> praises, but I will just say that for me, this book was worth the hype, which is not always the case. Often I am a little averse to hype and to hyped books, but I spent the first part of my year rereading Little Women, going to visit 
Orchard House. And so it felt only fitting that I read this this year. It is in some ways an homage to Little Women, but I actually think it is most successful just as a standalone book about a group of sisters and particularly about a young man named William, who is, I suppose, supposed to be a Laurie-esque figure. Um, William will stick with me for a long time. There's so much to love and be confounded by and heartbroken by. And um, the book also weirdly deals with basketball. Like in some ways it's a sports book. And so I love that. I liked Dear Edward, but this to me is is very much the book and Napolitano was probably meant to write. I did not realize, you know, I have, I, I have two copies. I like my, all my coworkers are reading it right now because I was like, I was yeah. like, well, Annie said she loves it and I need to read it soon. And they're like, we're already reading it. And I was like, okay. It's, it's really good. And I, I really was not prepared. Like I really had no intention of reading it. I really, yeah. I didn't get an ARC. So I was just like, oh, I'll read it if I get to it. Mm-hmm. And then I was almost even a little concerned maybe because of the little women aspect. Uh-huh. But instead I immediately started reading and was like, oh, these people, like my heart. Okay. <laughs> I just loved it. All right. I guess I'm going to read it. My number two is In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. Okay. Okay. Which I already know. I know what's coming up, but, um, but I, <laughs> this is, it's so, it's so funny. I like, I mentioned this uh, during reader retreat because I listened to part of this on audiobook and I think it's an amazing audiobook. Um, okay. It's, it's British, but as I said at reader retreat, it's not like, hello there, governor. It's that like, <laughs> it's like posh British. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's definitely, it's not Adele. So like, don't like it, you know, but um, it's the, it's the British that has like the, the, like the really like the new teeth, the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm kidding. Um, that's <laughs> awful. Um, no, I, we all have new teeth. It's, it's about like these, it's about these like uh, boys who are at a, what do you call it? A, um, a boarding school, my dream. Boarding. Yes, a boarding school, and they're all like being like shipped off to war. Mm-hmm. It's World War One, right? Yes, yes, and and it's about and you, you know you talked about this at reader. I love how keeping like you talked about this reader retreat, um, but <laughs> it's but you know it's about it's about friendship and romance and, and male relationships in very interesting and different ways. Um, yes, and I think that it does. I think it. I don't know. It's just so beautiful and the way that she writes about relationships is so interesting and intimate without it, it, it. Sometimes I think that when you write something that's so intimate, it can almost feel intrusive, but she somehow manages to like mm-hmm. find that balance of feeling like you're with them instead of like creeping on them. Oh my gosh. It's so tender. It is my number one book. It is in memoriam by Alice Wynn. You told me to read this and I don't even know if you told me to read it, but I stumbled upon it. And then I mm-hmm. asked you, should I read this? Yeah. And you said, yes, I just finished it. You should read it. I, don't know what I thought I was getting into. Um, sometimes I adopt your practice of just diving into a book without reading mm-hmm. too much. I mean, I read the first sentence or two to see if I'm going to be hooked, and I was. Gaunt and Elwood are the main characters, and I just will hold them. I feel like I will hold them forever in my heart. World War One story could not have told you that I would have enjoyed such a thing, but I, I absolutely loved it, and I think, I think for all the reasons you named, tender is the word that keeps coming back to me. It is very intimate. I did have a retreater who asked, you know, hey, it's pretty open door. Um, and there are several romantic scenes, but mm-hmm. I think this book is so much more than that. It is an epic story to me. Yeah. And it is very much about relationships, both platonic and romantic, boyhood, growing up, masculinity, 
I absolutely loved it. I can't imagine what I could read this year that would be better. My number one, and I don't want to overhype it because I get so nervous about this because it's like one of those things where I'm like, no, I want people to like just be like, I don't know. Um, right. It should come as no surprise is The Master Wilds by Lauren Groff. Okay. Okay. I don't like, no, no, like, don't, I don't like, because uh, here's the thing. I like, I, the thing is, she was writing this book before she started writing Matrix. That's right. And okay. I had been hearing about this book for a while. And the thing is, when I first, so I've read Matrix, Matrix three times. And the first time I read it, I was like, I don't know. And mm-hmm. the second time I read it, I was like, oh my gosh. And then the third time I read it, I was like, this is amazing. And mm-hmm. I get all of it now. Like, and, and I think that like, if you just read like a normal person, you're, you'll be fine, but I don't. Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, like, um, so, but this new book, The Master Wilds is about this. It's part Robinson Crusoe part captivity narrative and she was kind of inspired by this idea of like how all of these uh original narratives were very like like kind of painted like indigenous people as like the bad guys obviously and like it had like uh, uh-huh. and it's all about these like like fragile white women and so she's taking she's like trying to like reconceive of that and a lot of her work deals with the impact of human beings on on natural life and she deals with that too mm. but and I will say this, a, there is a lot of the book where this girl is just running. She is just running. Okay. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, she's running. I got it. Um, <laughs> but I think it's meant to be more, like, I think that truly in the same way that Matrix has a very particular rhythm that mm-hmm. is not like a rising action to like a, you know, like yeah, this book is doing something very similar and how it's playing with structure in unexpected ways that I think really ends up working well to when when you finish it, you do feel there's something about like I will tell you now, like the last two pages, I I did cry because I was like, wow, I was like, I'm very moved. So I'll be very interested to know what you think of it. Okay. Please save a copy. I, I need to like meet Don't you worry. somewhere so I can I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh because now I want to read it. Um okay. So those are our top 10 so far. I will love to see in December if any of this still stands. I think that some of it will. I suspect yeah. some of it will. But I am very much looking forward to the back half of the year. I was in a reading slump there for a hot minute, but I Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm back. I've already started a book that I really like, so I feel good about what's to come. So thank you, Hunter. Thank you. This week, What I'm Reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Summer is a wonderful time to see Thomasville, Georgia. If it's time to hit the road for a quick getaway, we are exactly what you're looking for. You can rekindle your spark, explore historical sites, indulge in dining out, shop at amazing independent stores, and finally relax and unwind. There's no better getaway than Thomasville. Whether you live close by or are just passing through, we hope you'll visit beautiful Thomasville, Georgia. It is worth the trip. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. Yes, the humidity is rising here, but it really is a wonderful time to visit. I went for a walk in nearby McIntyre Park the other day and just enjoyed the walkability that Thomasville has to offer. If you are wanting the small town experience, uh, I think this is a great weekend getaway. Come on a Friday and stay through a Monday. And maybe even if you're on your way to Destin or St. George or some other coastal 
kind of retreat. I think Thomasville would be a fun pit stop. And I just think there's always something to do. I know that sounds silly for a small town, but there really are great restaurants, wonderful shopping. One of my favorite local shops, The Hair and the Heart, just started carrying beautiful floral bouquets grown by a local grower. And I just love that collaborative nature of our beautiful downtown. So I hope you'll come visit us this summer. This week, I'm reading Talking at Night by Claire Daverly. Hunter, what are you reading? Rouge by Mona Awad. Thank you again to our sponsor, Visit Thomasville. Plan your visit at thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cami Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.